Thank you for listening to City Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit us at borocitychurch.com. That's B-O-R-O, citychurch.com. Additionally, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you, would you please email us to let us know? You can email us at sermons at borocitychurch.com. Thank you for listening. We live in a world where, as our fighter verse said, it's hard to stop and ponder your path. It's not easy to find empty spaces in your life and, and even in, in your own mind to just think about your relationship with the Lord and, and whether you are really following Him as He calls us to do. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, we know that we all fail in following you as you call us to do. None of us does it as, as we should. And yet, God, we also know that Jesus Christ has followed perfectly. Father, we want to humble ourselves before you this morning. God, I want to humble myself before you this morning. I know that the only way that people's lives will truly change is, is not just through hearing a, a message that they think is cool or fun, but through coming into an encounter with your Spirit. So please, Father, this morning, have mercy on us. Meet us here. Help us to understand your Word, uh, to be able to have closer intimacy with you and see more of who Jesus is. We desperately need you this morning, Father. Please meet us here. Amen. Amen. You can all have a seat. My name is uh, Elisha Lawrence. I'm the college and youth pastor here. And that means that I started wearing Birkenstocks before they were cool. And they're cool again, but they probably won't be very much longer because I'm still wearing them. Um, And it also means that I still play basketball, just my back hurts afterwards. So I I love getting to do that here. It's a real privilege, and I love every opportunity I get uh, to bring uh, the Word to you. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2 this morning as we continue our series through Mark, and we're going to be talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Uh, and the, the first, first point, I'm going to dive right in, we'll talk a little bit about it, is that you can follow Jesus without being a follower of Jesus. Let's read Mark two thirteen through 17. I'll explain what I mean. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, well, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In America, we've got a lot of words with double meaning. We have swimming pools and we have pool tables. Very different. We have fingernails 
but we also have sharp objects that are called nails. And if you're as handy as me, then it's kind of hard to tell the difference between those two things as you're trying to hammer one in. We have jam that could be put on your toast, but it's also a thing that you really hate to get in with other cars. Or when combined with space, it's a movie showing the heroism of Michael Jordan saving the Looney Tunes from being in slavery at Moron Mountain. We have a lot of words that have very different, well, that it's the same word can have multiple meanings. And here, Jesus shows that exact same thing with the word follow. They're very different meanings. Let me show you what I mean by that. It's, it's very different to follow someone on Twitter and move in with them. Am I right? Like it, it, it requires a very different set of things. It, it's one thing if I just want to hear cool things that you have to say, but it's a whole other thing for me to know if you snore. Like there's a big difference between those types of things. And one, like following somebody on Twitter, it requires very little, right? You just click with your phone. But to move in with somebody, man, that requires a lot of sacrifice, a lot of dying to yourself. When I asked my wife to marry me, it brought a lot of changes to her world. She had to move to a different city. She had to change jobs. And she had to live with me every day, which is pretty rough as well. There's a lot more flatulence in her life after she moved in with me. Amen. Amen. That's right. That's right. Wow. When... There's no, no recovering, okay. When Jesus, told, when Jesus told Levi to follow him, he was not talking about following him on Twitter. I think one of the disciples handled Jesus' Twitter. But he was asking him to join with him, to, to live with him, to give up the life that he was living and to come and, and be with him. The way that Levi and his disciples followed Jesus is very different from the ways that the crowds followed Jesus. You notice at the beginning of this passage that it also mentions that there, there are crowds who are following Jesus. And that, that word follow uh, is used of the crowds and the disciples in terms of their relationship with Jesus. And every time they are used, they tend to have the opposite connotation. One of those is obviously the ones done by the crowds. That was joining Jesus as an attendant. They followed Jesus around and they heard his teachings. They witnessed his miracles. Jesus was like an event that they watched. They had tickets to see the show. They followed him on Twitter. They wanted to know when his next appearances were because they were curious about what he was going to do. After all, they'd never heard anyone teach like Jesus before. He was different than any other teacher that, had been, that they'd seen. Jesus' call to Levi is very similar to what we saw in the first chapter of Mark with the other disciples that he called, James and John and Andrew and Simon. Every single one of them leaves their jobs behind. They leave their families behind. There's a, there's a drastic change in their lives, and they'd never be the same. Being a disciple in a Jewish culture, following a rabbi, meant that you listened to their interpretations of the law, their interpretations of Scripture, and that you yield to whatever he says. If you committed yourself to follow a rabbi, then that meant you couldn't change. Like, once they said something... That was what you believed. You had to follow with that interpretation. You submit your life to whatever they said the Scriptures meant. In Mark 8, 34 through 37, Jesus talks about the difference of the disciples following of Him and the crowds. And He actually does it by addressing the crowds about following Him. He said this, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man if he can gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus had a way with the crowds, and by a way, I mean a way of thinning out the crowds. With famous people, normally, it's an honor to be part of their crew. Uh, When I was in college, there was a a rapper that had just come out. He's a Christian rapper. His name was Lecrae. He was a French rapper. And uh, he... At that time, at that time, Christian rap was it was not a huge deal. Like it, what there weren't a lot of people following. There were actually only sixty of us that were at this concert, but it was still incredible. We loved it. He did a great job. We were blown away. Um, and afterwards, we all, me and my friends, we all went to IHOP to eat, and we looked over across the restaurant, and Lecrae was eating an IHOP too, and. Even though there were only 60 of us there, we were still like, man, this guy's awesome. Like, and so on our way out, you know, we were just like, yo, Lecrae, you killed it, bro. You know, and then, then we walked out. But, the, you know, the way that I told that story to all my friends was, man, after the concert, me and Lecrae were hanging out for hours <laughs> at IHOP. We were just exchanging different lyrics and beats. You know, man, we were super tight. You guys wouldn't believe it. It's an honor to be the part of somebody's crew. We all want a backstage pass if we're going to go see someone famous. But nobody was begging for a backstage pass to hang out with Jesus. Jesus gets all the crowds around. And he he has this opportunity to, to influence all these people that are the attendance type of followers to join his crew. He could take over if he wants. But he says this. Here's what following me is, guys. It's denying yourself. And it's taking up your cross. Uh, If you try to save your life, you're actually going to lose it. (laughs) Whoa. That kind of sounds like a fortune cookie or Yoda. So I think we need to talk a little bit about what that means. If you're going to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life, you're going to save it. Or an Eminem song. But what did Jesus mean when he said this? Well, Jesus put those, he strings these three things together. And together, they could all mean the exact same thing. Dying. If you want to follow me, then you have to die. Just before this, Jesus had predicted his own death. He wasn't calling them to do anything that he wasn't about to do himself. He was calling them to follow him in dying to themselves so that others might know him. This wasn't just masochistic, inflicting pain on yourself just for the heck of it. It's about personal suffering so that the name of Christ can be made known, for the gospel to go further out. And to be unified with Christ, to be a real follower of Christ, we must be willing to suffer for his name. For Levi and the other disciples, they made a decisive break with their old lives when they decided to follow Jesus Christ. They left their professions, their families. They didn't control their calendars anymore. They didn't know what they were going to do the very next day. And they yielded to whatever Jesus Christ wanted them to do. They were joined to him forever. And they were were changed as a result. So that brings a question for us. What about you? What type of following are you doing of Jesus? The call that Christ gave to the disciples was to yield all of their lives to him. To allow him to speak into every single area of their lives. A call to an intimate walk with Jesus Christ. 
And to have Jesus Christ near to your life means there's got to be some changes. I'll give you an example. I, uh, I, my daughter loves dogs. She's two. She's all about them. And so I love to take my daughter to go see other people's dogs. But I'm not about having a dog myself. Uh, I, I don't want to do that. Uh, because there's, a, there's an intimacy of owning a dog that I'm not super excited about. It would drastically change my life. I don't want to have to potty train two living beings. One is hard enough. You know, I don't want to have another mouth to feed or a body to bathe or another possibility of being licked, bitten, or pooped on. I'm not excited about that. I do love dogs, but I'm, I'm not ready for the extra commitment of one at this time in my life. It's impossible to be united to Christ and have no change in your life. We should be different from others because we follow Jesus. That's just how it is. So how is Christ changing your life today? How is following him making you a different person? Christ spoke into every area of the disciples' lives. Are you allowing Christ to speak into your dating relationships? How you spend your money? The people that you invite into your home? What you watch on TV? Or look at on your phone and computer, maybe even late at night. How you speak to your children or to your spouse. The people that you would love and serve. What about the words of Christ? Spoke in His Word. Are are those meaningful to you? Are, Are they something that you want to meditate and ponder and think on? Do they affect the way you, the way other words do? The way that other people's words do? Do they frustrate you and confuse you at times as they should, but then enlighten you and bring you deep joy as they should? Are you wrestling with the words of Christ? That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. That's what it means to put ourselves under His influence and leadership. It's not just about attending a service where He's talked about or liking some different things that He said. It's about joining yourself to Christ and Him being the leader of your life. And you're the follower, fighting our selfish desires to have control of our lives so that we can give Jesus greater sway in how we live. Now, we're going to come back to this at the end, but there's a few more things in this passage that we really need to wrestle with um, as we we think about uh, Jesus and what it means to be a follower today. And the second thing I really want us to wrestle with is that following Jesus means inviting yourself to places that you don't want to go. Inviting yourself to places that you don't want to go. Jesus' hospitality is, is a pretty funny thing. Um, because he didn't have a place to lay his head. Uh, so he's always inviting himself over to other people's houses for dinner. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, Levi, you know, this is great that you want to follow me, man. I, I really want to celebrate. Hey, that's great, man. You can have as many of your friends as, as you want. Um, but uh, I don't really have a house. Uh, so can we do that at your house? Is that cool? You know, uh, and, and Levi's like, yeah, of course, sure. That's great, Jesus. That's great. We can invite, uh, you can invite people over to my house and I'll host. Um, but it's not like people were mad about that. They were pumped to have Jesus over for dinner. The thing that they got bothered with is the people that Jesus invited over for dinner. They didn't like that. Let's read about it. As he reclined at table in his house, now I don't know why they all had lazy boys back then. I was just picturing them all just, hey man, this is some good euros. Um, 
But as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus, everybody, and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw what he was, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, uh, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus invited the sinners over for dinner, and the Pharisees were not pumped about it. And I, and I know we kind of have a tendency in, in Christian circles to kind of poo-poo on the Pharisees because they're always getting into it with Jesus. And, and we, can re, we can look back on this and always be like, oh man, those guys are such jerks. I would have never been like that. I would have been pumped about these tax collectors and sinners at dinner. But I think if we really understand some of the context, we would really understand we are probably, we probably need to read that passage a little bit more like we are the Pharisees in that situation. What's the big deal with tax collectors and sinners? Well, uh, Jerem Bars, in, in a book that he wrote, talks a little bit about the idea of why they would have been so frustrated that he invited them over for dinner. You can read along with me on the screen. Tax collectors worked for Romans, the occupying army of the Jews' loathed oppressors. They weren't paid for their services, so they had to tax extra for their own salary. They were hated because many did so exorbitantly to become rich by the hands of their own countrymen. Tax collectors took advantage of their own people. And so any Jew was super frustrated whenever they saw a tax collector because they thought, man, those jerks, I cannot believe they sold out for the, uh, for the army. And they didn't just sell out, but they're also messing us over too by taking our money. Nobody liked them. The, the Romans were rough people, and the Jew, no Jews really liked them. At one point in the Romans conquering, to conquer Gaul, which was modern-day France, they killed two million people. The Romans were absol- absolutely brutal. Jesus, by inviting himself into the house of a tax collector with many other tax collectors and sinners, was breaking every social, moral boundary that a Jew had. He's going to the house of a guy that nobody respects and nobody wants to be around. And then there are the sinners there. Well, what does that mean? It's not just talking about like people that sin a lot, uh, but that was an actual term in the Jewish culture. And the term meant that you could be a sinner in the sense that what, you disobeyed God's law or you broke God's law in some way and that made you unclean. So that, so that could be, you know, God has this standard that he has, um, you know, of... Uh, sexuality, thou shalt, you know, should, uh, don't commit adultery, um, or do not murder, or do not steal. And, and you had broken that law, and that meant you were a sinner, that you were categorized as that. And, and the Jews, people who broke the law, um, they didn't want to be around them because that meant they were unclean, and th- they would feel bad about themselves. They, they kept, oh, but then there's another, another way that you could be in that, and that's if you were physically diseased or disabled. Tax collectors were hated, but these people were just treated like trash. They were pushed to the edges of the city. Nobody wanted to even acknowledge that they existed. They were kept out of sight. You didn't want to interact with them because you were afraid that the disease, literally, might rub off on you. Or figuratively, it might rub off on you. Inviting them to dinner... That's out of the question. No way. So what is Jesus doing is what the scribes were thinking. And and his disciples probably felt the same way. They weren't Pharisees, but they were Jews. They didn't want to be unclean either. 
And for them, these were t-ball issues. This is stuff they heard from their grandmas. Don't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls who do. They knew how to be a good Jew. And this was not being a good Jew. Jesus breaks every single expectation that they have. Eating with someone in that culture was considered an act of intimate fellowship. You only did that with people that you were really, really close to. It was almost an approval of, hey, I want you to be around my family. I want you to be uh, close to me. So the disciples must have been thinking as they pull up to Levi's house, Jesus, are you sure you didn't get the address wrong? Um, I really don't think that we should go in there. There's another house right down the street. My mom is making euros tonight. We can go over. It's going to be fine. Let's not go here. Jesus, why are you talking with that guy? He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about any of us. He's a sellout to the Roman government. You can't trust that guy. He's a tax collector. Or in modern terms, Jesus, are we really going into this neighborhood? Didn't you see on the news last night there was just a break-in in this neighborhood? Jesus, these people don't live like we do. Did you not just hear that guy cuss? No one's donkey in the parking lot had a, a, a fish bumper sticker on it. And I saw a few coexist in equal signs. Jesus, this is a pretty rough crowd. That guy over there has been embezzling money from his company. That guy drinks too much beer. She cheated on her husband, and that guy's got an STD. What is Jesus doing? For evangelical Christians like us who tend to be pretty conservative, Jesus has got some explaining to do. He's really pushing us to a place where we are pretty uncomfortable. And Jesus gives the exact reason for doing that in Mark 2, 17. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come for the people that are righteous. I came for the sinners. Doctors help sick people, not healthy people. If there was no sickness, you don't need a doctor. And yet here, Jesus is comparing himself to a doctor. And the Pharisees and disciples aren't saying it out loud, but their shock and amazement implies it. Jesus, this isn't right. You are not supposed to be doing this. These are not people that we should be hanging around with. But Jesus says, guys, I'm not here because everyone has got it together. I'm not showing up to give out best of awards. I'm not here to gather the best and brightest, the most polished and disciplined, the prettiest, the bravest. I'm here because the human race has got some deep, deep problems. And they don't have them figured out. They don't have them figured out yet. There are people in the world who are lost and sick. I'm here for them. In Luke 19.10, after Jesus ate with another tax collector, Zacchaeus, he said this, The Son of Man, referring to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Jesus came because there was a disease spreading in the human condition, and that's the disease of sin. And anyone that can acknowledge their struggle with sin, anyone that's able to admit their uncleanness before Jesus, that's who he's here to save. Jesus saw something very different in the tax collectors and the sinners than the Pharisees and the disciples did. He looked beyond their obvious external sins to see a deeper kind of spiritual interest in their hearts. It's not that he overlooked their sinful lifestyles, but he saw more than that. Think of some of the people that Jesus interacts with in the Gospels. We've got the woman at the well 
who is living with a man that she wasn't married to. We have a prostitute. Many different examples of tax collectors. Lepers. Jesus sees through the rough exterior of these people to their hearts. 1 Samuel 16.7 says that God doesn't see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Jesus could see in the crowds people that were interested and, and really wanted to follow him. And yet on the exterior, they really looked rough. We need to adjust the way that we look at people as well. Because God doesn't see people like we do. He's got on different glasses. Think about Levi and Peter, people that Jesus called to follow him. Man, these guys would have been constantly at each other's throats. You've got Levi, who's a tax collector, who has sold himself out to work for the Roman government. And you've got Peter, who's a Jewish nationalist, thinking about wanting to overthrow the Roman government. They're not getting along. That's not going to happen. When Jesus called the disciples to follow him, he was embracing all the crap that they brought with him. As they traveled with him, he had to deal with all their blow-ups, their immaturity, the times that they bickered about pointless and tangential things, the times that they complained. You could kind of picture Jesus like a dad on a road trip. Jesus, are we there yet? We've been walking on this dusty road all day. Jesus, I'm hungry and we don't have any food. Jesus, don't let James and John sit next to you. I called Capernaum and ch- or I called shotgun in Capernaum. Jesus, Thaddeus wineskin burst in the back seat again on my new sandals. Jesus, don't pair me up with Thomas. He won't listen to me. And then you have Thomas in the back. I doubt that. (laughs) The disciples told Jesus he was wrong at times. They got angry with him. They fell asleep when he desperately needed their help. And they abandoned him in his moment of greatest need. If we're going to be a church that is about gospel change for broken people, we've got to be willing to embrace people in the middle of their brokenness. As we follow Christ and help others to follow Christ, it means dealing with annoyances, frustrations, immaturity, blow-ups, being hurt, being misunderstood by people being misrepresented and possibly even being abandoned and slandered by people that you are laboring to love with all your might. Helping the sick is not an easy task. It will mean that we have to sacrifice along the way. It's going to mean suffering in our lives in dealing with a great deal of discomfort. This also means we've got to destroy some of the boundaries that we might put up in our lives that keep people out. The Pharisees were the equivalent of what we think of as conservative evangelicals. They stood for family values, discipline, holiness, right living, and a right understanding of the law. And they got super angry with Jesus because he didn't embrace their platform. He wouldn't live the same way that they lived. He ate with tax collectors and sinners and went into their homes. He ate with people, if we think of examples from our culture, who may have had a hangover the previous evening, who were guilty of cheating on their spouses, who smelled like marijuana, people who organized abortion rallies or or marched in an LGBTQ march the previous day, people who voted for the opposite party of whichever one you voted for, people who stole, stole money from their friends, 
people who worked in the porn industry. Think about this. Some of Jesus' closest followers were women who had previously been prostitutes. Wow. Jesus embraced some people that would make us very uncomfortable. He ate dinner with them and they left changed. One of the dangers of reading stories like this is we can assume that Jesus is soft on sin. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. When these people came face to face with Jesus, they left changed. They they were not the same afterwards. Think of Zacchaeus the tax collector. He had been stealing money from people and, and had become rich through it. But after dinner with Jesus, he was a changed man offering to pay back four times what he had taken from the people he'd stolen from. Mary Magdalene was a woman possessed by seven demons before she met Jesus. And afterwards, she was one of the few that didn't leave Jesus when he was on the cross. And she was one of the first to see him when he rose from the dead. Levi, the tax collector, never returned to his tax collecting. He became a follower of Jesus. And he wrote one of the gospel accounts that we have of Jesus' life. Jesus was not light on sin. But he did love sinners. And that's the good news for every single one of us. Because the truth is, following Jesus means realizing that you and I are one of the six sinners that Jesus invited to dinner. Mark portrays the disciples and the crowds in their true light. Uh, The crowds are going to fade away over time. They'll make big statements of worship and celebration, welcoming Jesus in with palm branches and singing praises to his name. But in the end, they're going to be stirred up to yell for his crucifixion. Sure, they followed Jesus superficially for a while, but eventually they turn on him, demanding his death. The disciples started off well. They leave their jobs to follow Jesus. They make bold claims that they'll never abandon Jesus. But they fail to stick with Jesus when their expectations are blown up. When Jesus doesn't become king, they freeze. When he's taken captive, they run. The irony is that both the crowds and the disciples are bad followers. The crowds were stirred up to hate Jesus. The disciples abandoned Jesus. We can read Jesus' words about coming for those who are sick, the marginalized, the broken, deeply sinful people in society. And that's true. He is talking about those people. But Jesus was making a bigger point than that. When the Pharisees and the disciples heard, I came for the sick, they thought that he was talking about somebody else. But really, he was talking about them. They were sick because of sin. They all failed to follow and worship God. Really, Jesus is the only one who followed God perfectly. He followed his plan to a T until the very end. Levi thought that he was leaving everything to follow Jesus Christ. But really, Christ left everything to follow God's plan for him. He left heaven to become a man, to come and suffer and die. He left heaven to become our substitute. He's the one who left everything. Jesus was a doctor that gave up his own life so that his sick patient could live. His seeking and saving were done by coming and dying. Jesus sought out men to save by giving up his own life. He fulfilled Mark 8, 33 and 34. 
which says this, if anyone loses his life for the gospel, he will gain it. Jesus was ultimately talking about our hope. The gospel is that Jesus gave up his life to save us. That's how we can even have hope in that verse. Christ lost his life to bring about this good news. And if we give up our lives of sin and embrace his righteousness, then we can be followers of Christ, even in all of our flaws and even in all of our sin. Guys, as followers of Christ, we should give up our lives. That is the call for us. We need to let him lead our lives. We need to listen to what he says in his word and alter our lives to worship him. We're no longer in control. But whatever Jesus says in his word, that governs us. That speaks to us. And we've got to mold our lives to whatever he says. We also need to follow Jesus into uncomfortable places that we might not want to go. Into interacting with people that, that, you might, not be, uh, that might not be your normal people to interact with. Jesus died to his wants and desires. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And in following Jesus, we're called to do the exact same thing. Father, not my will, but yours be done. I will die to what I want and what I'm comfortable with so that I might express the gospel and show that to others. We embrace those who don't know Jesus Christ, regardless of how uncomfortable their sins might make us. Remembering that we were once just like them. And Christ in his mercy came after us. When we fail in both these areas, which we will, when we struggle with sin, we need to remember that Christ has already followed perfectly for us. That's going to give us the strength whenever we fail to remember, Jesus, you already did this. Not, that doesn't mean, oh, well, I don't, then I don't have to do it. It means I get to do it. It means even when I fail, God, I can, I can uh, step back up and I can try again because of Jesus Christ. And he empowers us to do that and gives us his Holy Spirit to live that out. Let me pray with you guys this morning. Father, you call us to follow you and, and we don't. <laughs> We don't do a great job of that. You call us to die so that others might live, to give up our lives for the sake of others, to embrace people, God, that that might make us uncomfortable. You call us to share the gospel, and we're scared to do it, God. We're we're afraid, and yet, Jesus, we, we need to realize that part of being a follower of Jesus means people are going to think of us the same way the disciples thought of Jesus. People are going to mock us. People are going to think that we're different or that we're weird or that we're odd. And yet, Jesus, it is worth it for the sake of your glory and your name. Help us, God, to realize that your opinion matters so much more than the opinions of others. Help us to follow you where you would have us go to love you as you loved us, and to love other people as you loved us. Jesus, we we need your Holy Spirit. We're so grateful that you gave your life so that we have hope in this life. 
Please help us to follow you. And and as we prepare our hearts, Father God, to remember your sacrifice this morning with the Lord's Supper, God, help us to repent of the ways that, that we have chosen to follow our own desires rather than you. The ways that we've chosen to love ourselves and and to choose our own comfort rather than dying so that we might make you known to others. Father, we're grateful that we don't have to be condemned for our sin because you were condemned for our sin in our place. Help us to remember that this morning. and, And Lord, please change us to look more like your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.